Are you an infidel? Well, according to a whole lot of people, you probably are. But we're going to find out what exactly an infidel is, and we're also going to learn about a very important book in the history of mankind. Welcome to Evidence and Answers with Dr. Pat Zuckerin. I'm Kevin Harris. We take a look at spiritual and cultural issues on this show with Dr. Zuckerin, and we have some important guests. We want to invite you, as we bring on our next guest, to check out our website, evidenceandanswers.org. Evidenceandanswers.org. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism can be found right there. Pat's articles, Pat's book that he co-wrote with Dr. Norman Geisler, The Apologetics of Jesus, and many more resources there at evidenceandanswers.org. Pat, we have had Dr. Spencer on a couple of times on Evidence and Answers, and today we've got him back. Yes, Kevin. With all the news we're seeing about Islam throughout the world, several years ago, I began a study on the Quran. And you know, Kevin, one of the things I noticed is that it's a very difficult book to understand. Hmm. You know, sometimes you felt like you were just jumping into the middle of a conversation and you weren't exactly sure what the context was or what the meaning of the passage was. I found it to be quite a difficult book. I guess that makes you an infidel. Well, you know, and the more research that I did, I found that commentaries were hard to find and that hmm. some of the translations were quite different. It seemed to be more sanitized and things. And so I really uh, got excited when Dr. Robert Spencer came out with this new book here, The Complete Infidel's Guide to the Quran, giving us an understanding of the Quran. Dr. Spencer, welcome to the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. You know, Dr. Spencer is the director of Jihad Watch, a program of the David Horowitz Freedom Center and the author of several great books on Islam and Jihad, including the New York Times bestseller, The Truth About Muhammad, and one of my favorites, The Politically Incorrect Guide to Islam and the Crusades. He is a weekly columnist for Human Events and the Front Page Magazine and has led several seminars on Islam and Jihad for the United States Central Command, the United States Army Command, and General Staff College, the U.S. Army's Asymmetric Warfare Group, the FBI, and numerous other groups. Dr. Spencer, you know, one thing I noticed that you can attack the existence of God, but if you criticize Muhammad or the Quran, that can be fatal, can it? Oh, no doubt about that. Absolutely. The Islamic tradition and Islamic law mandate the death penalty for somebody who dares to do that. Give us a brief history of the Quran. How was it put together? Well, you know, the standard Islamic story is that the Quran was put together. Uh, was essentially delivered in pristine form by God through the angel Gabriel to Muhammad, and that it was then collected painstakingly by the Muslims, and that this process also was protected by God from error, such that we now have, according to the traditional Islamic sources, the full and complete Quran that has existed forever with Allah in paradise and it is the perfect book and the eternal book. Now, in real life, Muhammad died, Muhammad the prophet of Islam, died rather suddenly and had left no provision either for successor, his successor as, who would be his successor as the leader of the Muslim community, or for how the Quran would be preserved. And actually, what it was, the situation was that there were several people who had memorized parts of it, not all of it, but parts of it. And they were now beginning to be killed off in battles that the Muslims were fighting after Muhammad's death. And so in view of that, and in view of the fact that some parts of the Quran were lost 
when these people were killed in battle, the uh, Muslim leaders decided to gather together the various portions of it. And there are some very interesting early Islamic traditions indicating that uh, the Quran is not complete, that there were portions of it that were lost, and that uh, nobody should say that he has the whole Quran because there are elements of it that were that died with these people who were killed in battle and will never be seen again. And what's interesting about that is that many of the elements of Islamic law, some of them are the most controversial of those elements, are uh, based on these passages of the Quran that aren't, any, aren't there any longer. And one of the most notable is the stoning for adultery, this punishment that is mandated and still carried out in many areas of the Islamic world. And oftentimes you hear Islamic spokesmen in the West say, well, you know, the Quran does not mandate stoning for adultery, and they act as if it's some sort of a cultural practice, when in reality there are Islamic traditions that say that uh, the Quran originally called for the stoning of adulterers, but that those passages were lost, but that nobody should think that uh, the stoning for adultery is not something that was mandated by Allah and Muhammad, and that it was originally part of the Quran, and Muhammad himself carried out these stonings. We're on the phone with Dr. Robert Spencer, who is the author of The Complete Infidels, Guide to the Quran. And Dr. Spencer, perhaps you can clarify what you mean by infidel. Well, you know, if you are a believing Christian or a devout Jew or a devout believer in any other religion, then aside from Islam, then as far as Islam goes, you're, uh, you're an infidel. The Quran envisions infidels essentially as anybody who's not a Muslim, especially Christians. Those who believe in the divinity of Christ are singled out as particularly as being infidels. The Quran says that those who that Allah is the Messiah, the Son of Mary, that is, that, that Jesus Christ is God, actually are unbelievers or infidels. And so in the Quranic scheme of things, if you want to not be an infidel, then you have to believe in Allah and Muhammad and the Quran. Now, Dr. Spencer, you stated previously that we don't have all the teachings of Muhammad in the Quran. How do we know that? How do we know that some of his teachings are missing? Well, we know that from the uh, witness of early Islamic uh, traditions. There are actually some hadith or traditions of Muhammad that say that there was at one time, for example, one of the chapters of the Quran was about 100 verses longer than it is in the Quran as it appears today. And there was also the penalty of stoning in the Quran and other things that are referred to as being in the Quran, only they're not there. And so uh, the, the obvious conclusion is that these were elements that were lost. Now, according to Islamic history, it's the third caliph of Islam, Uthman, who collected the sayings of Muhammad and made his version the official Quran of Islam. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. Uthman collected together uh, all the fragments that he could get, he could find from people, and he uh, ordered burned all the variants, all the copies that differed from the uh, Quran that he had developed as the canonical version. And so the uh, Uthmanic Quran is the official Quran today, but there's actually historically no reason to prefer it over the versions of the Quran that Uthman ordered destroyed. Now, do we have any copies or fragments of those 
fragments that uh, he ordered destroyed? No, not as such. Uh, the, this was a big bonfire, and they took care of it. But uh, we do have variants of the Quran that are found here and there. Now, they're very much under wraps and hard to get at, but they do exist. One of them is in a museum in Yemen and has been uh, kept closely under wraps, although there are people who have examined it and have noted its differences from the, uh, from the canonical Quran. There are also some, here again, some traditions in the, uh, in the Hadith, the traditions of Muhammad, of the early Muslims dealing with uh, variants in the readings of the Quran. And they thereby preserve some variant readings that we don't have manuscript evidence of, but we have them in these traditional sources. Uh, there are also some very interesting microfilms that have been kept closely under wraps in Germany that a German Islamic scholar had possession of. And interestingly enough, he was a Nazi, and he was in Germany during World War II. He claimed that the microfilms had been destroyed in an Allied air raid. But uh, in reality, after his death, it was revealed a few years ago that the microfilms were not destroyed. And so that raises the question as to why he might have kept them under wraps and claimed that they did not exist when they did. And one answer that people have posited about that is because of the alliance between the Islamic bloc and the Nazis during World War II, that maybe he did not want to release material that would be detrimental to the Islamic world. You know, that's quite important to know, because one of the proofs that Muslims use that the Quran is divinely inspired is that they say that it is accurately preserved. Yet if we have these variants here, that would counter that claim, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah, certainly. And there are people who are doing some very good work and very important work in this field. And I think more and more it's going to come to light that the canonical Quran is anything but miraculous and is really a hodgepodge of material that has been put together from a variety of sources. The scholar Christoph Luxemburg has done marvelous work in this. This is not so much about textual variants, but about the variants that are possible even in the reading of the canonical Quran. Uh, I don't know how much Arabic you know, but Arabic as a language has a number of letters that are exactly the same, written in exactly the same way. And all that differs, makes them different from one another, is the diacritical, or the diacritical marks, these little dots that are put in various combinations above and below and or below the letters. And also the Arabic language does not write vowels, and there are other marks that you put in for the different vowels. So the funny thing is that the actual canonical approved Uthmanic text of the Quran does not have either the diacritical marks or the vowels. And so there are any number of possibilities that it could be saying something other, quite different, from what the received text as is, is claimed to say. And Christoph Luxemburg has done marvelous work in this in showing that there are all sorts of different ways to read the canonical text if you change the, the vowels and the consonants in the received text based on just moving the marks the diacritical marks around. And he's come up with the idea that there is actually an Aramaic text that underlies the Quran that may have been some sort of Christian religious tract that was interpreted in a different way to create what we know of as the Quran. Dr. Robert Spencer is our guest on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman. The Complete Infidel's Guide to the Quran is the book. 
Dr. Spencer, you referred to the, the miracle of the Quran. We know that, that that is very important to our Muslim friends. While Christians may point to Jesus, the person of Christ, his fulfillment of prophecies, his miracles, his sinless life, his resurrection, Muslims tend to point to the miracle of the Quran. What are they saying there about it? Well, what they mean is uh, partly a lot of what we've been discussing already, that uh, the Quran is a book that was preserved miraculously from textual variants, while the Bible, of course, if you read pretty much any edition of the Bible, you'll see these little footnotes, and they say that there's this variant reading of this passage or that variant reading, or some manuscripts say this and other manuscripts say that. Of course, none of the uh, variants are significant in their content, but nonetheless, Islamic apologists tend to make a great deal of them and to claim that while the Bible is something that the the textual situation of is, as they claim, rather chaotic, the Quran has this integrity and has uh, been preserved from these kinds of variations. And so it would be really uh, difficult for a pious Muslim to deal honestly with the reality of a textual variation in the Quran and of a manuscript that was actually containing a different reading that had been accepted by Muslims. It strikes at the heart of uh, the Islamic faith itself. We want to take just a moment to thank you for listening to Evidence and Answers. And in fact, we have a lot of resources and information about Islam and the Quran when you go to evidenceandanswers.org. In fact, Dr. Spencer has been with us on numerous occasions, and you can catch some past shows with Dr. Spencer on this very important topic. Here at Evidence and Answers, we believe that faith in Christ is not blind faith, but is reasonable or rational faith, faith that is supported by facts and evidence. The Bible calls this apologia, or to give a defense or reason for why you believe what you believe. And Pat has written a terrific book on the fact that Jesus does this very thing. It's called The Apologetics of Jesus, apologetics from the word apologia. And it's written with the renowned scholar and apologist Dr. Norman Geisler. Get this book when you go to evidenceandanswers.org, evidenceandanswers.org, as well as Pat's articles and, of course, past shows, and a donate button that uh, we hope that you'll press from time to time and be partnered up with us. Pat? Now, Dr. Spencer, when I first began reading the Quran, I found it a very difficult book. How does one go about understanding the Quran? Yeah, you really can't uh, read it on your own without any guide. If you do, you'll be at sea most of the time, because the Quran is kind of like uh, walking in on a conversation between two people that you don't know, and they're talking about events in which you were not involved, and they're not filling in the details for you. It's like that in the Quran as a conversation between Allah and Muhammad which is largely what makes up the Quran. And so uh, you really need to go to the Islamic traditions to get the explanations of under what circumstances these various passages of the Quran were revealed and what they mean when they say various things. And this can also be very important because you can be reading along and see a phrase that is translated into English as something like, strive hard in the way of Allah. And uh, a Western reader is not likely, without knowing, to uh, understand that that actually is a phrase that is in Islamic theology referring to waging war. 
against infidels, and that it has that particular and precise meaning in Islamic theology. And so it's not just strive hard uh, in the way of Allah, meaning try to be more religious. So when you say the traditions, you're talking we need to look at the Hadith and also the earliest biography of Muhammad by Ibn Ishaq to understand the context of the verses in the Quran. Is that what you're saying? essential to understand the Quran, and of course, it's very important for American citizens, free people everywhere, and American policymakers to understand the Quran, but I uh, know that it's difficult for people who are involved in other things in life to deal with these sources and to devote the time that's necessary to exploring them and understanding them as they need to be understood, and so that's the reason why I've written the book, uh, The Complete Infidel's Guide to the Quran, and other, the biography of Muhammad I wrote a few years back, The uh, Truth About Muhammad. These things, these books are designed to be resources for people so they can understand what's in the Quran and what Islam actually teaches, and they don't have to slog through all this material themselves. Yes, a very, very helpful book in understanding the Quran. Now, you know, Muslims say you can't really understand the Quran because you have to read it in Arabic. Is that true? Well, you know, Arabic is a uh, human language like any other. And so Arabic can be translated just like any other human language. It's kind of a dodge that Islamic apologists use to deflect attention away from the uncomfortable passages of the Quran to claim that they can only be understood in Arabic, as if somehow the uh, verse that says a good woman is obedient and as for those that are not, beat them, is going to be rendered somehow into give her a hug if you just understood the Arabic. It's kind of ludicrous. Uh, in reality, the uh, Muslim translations that Muslims have made by and for Muslims of the Quran, they give the lie to the idea that you can only understand it in Arabic. If you can only understand it in Arabic, then why do Muslims translate it? Well, the obvious answer is, is that they translate it because most Muslims today are not Arabs, and even most Arabic Muslims today do not understand 7th century classical Quranic Arabic. And so these translations are made for the benefit of Muslims themselves. And so one would have to believe that these translations themselves are all false and misleading, and that uh, they are not to be relied upon even among those who made them. Uh, it's kind of a, a ridiculous thing, but it's really just a dodge to uh, keep people from realizing that what the Quran says is something that Muslims around the world do indeed take very seriously. Dr. Spencer, I noticed that some of these surahs are chapters in the Quran or more peaceful than others. There seem to be peaceful chapters and then some more warlike. Why do we find this this differentiation or dichotomy? This reflects the changing circumstances in Muhammad's life. Uh, Muhammad began as a uh, preacher of the, the various things that he was saying that he had received from God, and he got very little following in doing that. But he was also the leader of a very small and embattled group. The uh, Muslims were a small number in uh, Mecca, and they were powerless. And so he tended to ask for tolerance. The tolerance he was asking for was not saying,
saying that Muslims ought to be tolerant of others. He was saying that others ought to be tolerant of the Muslims. But when he gained power and uh, moved to Medina and became for the first time a political and a military leader as well as a spiritual leader, then the tables turned and he stopped talking about tolerance and began to talk about waging war against unbelievers. Nowadays, you find, and all through Islamic history, you've found all these passages together in the Quran, and you have to go to Islamic theology to find that uh, traditionally Islamic theologians exalt the violent passages that came later in Muhammad's career as taking precedence over the peaceful passages and tolerant passages that came earlier. And so you have to figure out when the particular chapters were written, whether they are Meccan surahs or the Medina surahs. That's what you're saying, right? Yes, yes that's right. And so it's... Uh, this is just another thing that complicates the reading of the Quran for non-Muslims, for infidels, because uh, you can read the peaceful passages, tolerant passages, and think, oh, see, it's not so bad, and not realize that those are considered abrogated in traditional Islamic theology and to have been replaced by these violent passages. So that's what abrogated means? It means they have been replaced with, uh, with other revelation or with, by other Quranic verses? Yeah, they're not replaced in terms of uh, being taken out of the Quran, but in terms of their operative force for Muslims today, yes, they are, they are considered not to have force that takes any precedence over the violent verses. And this is a mainstream and traditional view. By the way, we're going to have Dr. Spencer back next week for another show, Pat. And one of the things that uh, I really want us to get into next week is the Satanic Verses. Boy, is that a controversial area. So, Dr. Spencer, be ready to, to speak to us about that. Okay. Well, Dr. Spencer, you talked that uh, several modern translations have kind of sanitized the Quran. Uh, wh what is a good translation in English for us to use if we want to study the Quran? The subject of a number of whitewashed and sanitized translations by Arab Muslim scholars who are writing for Western consumption, and they want to obfuscate for Westerners the uh, problematic passages of the Quran. And so there, there are a lot of hazards in this area. One of the best Quranic translations in English is the Penguin edition, you know, the Penguin books of all the classics. They uh, have a Quran uh, that is translated by N.J. Daoud, who was a uh, marvelous Arabic speaker uh, from Iraq, a great scholar. Uh, the one thing about him is that uh, he was not a Muslim, and so his translation is not generally given respect by Muslims, but is uh, nonetheless the one that is clearest and most accurate in terms of the what the Quran actually says. Oh, interesting. You know, Dr. Spencer, in our closing moments, uh, we also know that you have a website, jihadwatch.org. Tell us about that website. Jihad Watch is a news and commentary site that is updated many times daily with uh, material about what the jihadis are doing and why they are doing it, material that you will not get anywhere else. Dr. Spencer, uh, what do you think Muslims will think of your book, The Complete Infidel's Guide to the Quran? I mean, uh, on the one hand, it seems like Muslims would be anxious for uh, we infidels to know more about the Quran. Uh, on the other hand, they may think that uh, we're poking a little bit of fun at the term infidel. Uh, it's accurate, though. If you're not a Muslim, then you're an infidel. Yeah, it's it's completely accurate. And uh, 
I actually intended to make poke a little fun because uh, one thing that I know is that Islamic jihadis uh, cannot stand to be mocked, and Islamic jihadis uh, uh, do not bear up well under ridicule. And so I think that uh, we need to unapologetically use that as uh, a tactic in the war to defend Western civilization. Uh, but uh, the book is not all ridicule. The book is a serious, uh, although a bit light uh, in tone, book that uh, is an exploration of the Quran. And uh, I think that an honest Muslim would say that it's accurate in terms of what it says, but that it's likely that instead uh, any Muslim who says anything about it is much more likely to say that it's uh, lying, that it's out of context, that it's baseless, and so on and so on. But I would challenge anyone to find a single actual inaccuracy in it, rather than just make broad-based blanket uh, accusations. Yes, and uh, you've referenced the works very well, and I would encourage anyone going through this book to read the verses that you reference in the Hadith and the Quran to see that you're accurately quoting and um, critiquing those particular passages. We've been talking with Dr. Robert Spencer, an Islamic scholar who's written several outstanding books, and one of the most helpful books I find here is The Complete Infidel's Guide to the Quran. Very helpful in helping uh, you understand the message and the actual teachings of the Quran. And he'll be back next week to talk some more about this book and the Quran. So, Dr. Spencer, thanks for joining us, and we look forward to hearing from you next week. Thank you. Likewise. Well, thank you so much for joining us for Evidence and Answers with Dr. Pat Zuckerman. It's our hope to keep a quality program on the air and on the web that presents an intelligent response to the issues of our day and intellectually considers the claims of Christ in an honest and loving way. And we'd like to ask you to join us. Please support us with your tax-deductible financial gifts. One of the ways you can do that is by purchasing our resources available at evidenceandanswers.org. You can download past shows on everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, read Pat's articles, and purchase Pat's new book with Dr. Norman Geisler, The Apologetics of Jesus. It's all at evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. I'm Kevin Harris. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time on Evidence and Answers with Dr. Pad Zuckerman.